worship and ministry leaders. Thanks for coming back. I'm Brandon Dempsey of Confessions of a Worship Leader, also the uh, leader of worshipteentraining.com, which you find our content on, and also cross-pollinate that over here to Confessions of a Worship Leader site and all of our socials, bringing stories of heartbreak experiences and very weird, awkward circumstances to help you in your worship leading, to help you in your ministry. So I just want to say thank you guys for coming back. Uh, if you feel like you've been in a place where you've been damaged, taken taken advantage of, uh, burned out, discouraged, then this site is just for you. So thanks so much for coming. Welcome to today's confession. Today's confession, we've been actually talking about this this whole week. And I posed the question in the worship leaders group and hats off to Harry Walls again and all the great team that's been monitoring that site. We talked about why people hold back in worship. And if you look around your own church, uh, these are some of the comments that you guys make when you're asking the question, well, what song can we get to help people sing? Uh, or why did people not sing? Uh, what was it about the worship that maybe came to a halt? Uh, I, w I read some, some person's post over the weekend that said they finally had to do it. They had to restart the whole song over again. Uh, we've all been there. And even when I'm in worship, I think to myself, you know, so-and-so, and you don't mean to judge, you don't. But as a leader, it does cross your mind of who's paying attention and who's not. Just ask any senior pastor and they'll tell you the same thing. They probably do it more than other people. Even right now, I'm looking at you. So anyway, leading worship, uh, you may be thinking to yourself, people in the back, you know, hey, are they, you know, can they see the words okay? It could be, hey, the people in the front, they don't seem to be singing. What can I do more? All of us go through that. So I have uh, my best friend in the whole world. I can't think of anybody else better to bring in a better mind for this topic. Why do people hold back in worship? Dan Lane has been my best buddy, uh, my mentor for, I don't know, 33 decades, maybe back to the early 1990s. And he okay. has a master's in counseling and various other uh, psychopath degrees. I'm just kidding. But he, sure. very well-schooled, very well-trained. Uh, so let's go ahead and turn into his mind and see what he has to say. Dan, how are you today, brother? Hey, I'm doing great, Brandon. Always good to be with you, man. Hey, I'm, it's, it's a blessing always to have you. And, and I love our conversations that we have offline because yeah. I think to myself all the time, gosh, I wish that we can record this. So we're <clears> going to be doing more of this, people. Uh, you're going to be introduced to Dan and see him a lot more. Dan, can you, because I, I screwed it up royally, can you please detail for us what exactly your study strengths are in and what you do? I, uh, first of all, I, I've, what I found, I'm a lifelong learner, and I found that the more you know, the less you know. That's how you can tell a wise person by how less he talks, because he doesn't want to appear that he doesn't know anything. So, um, but I have a, as you said, I have a master's in counseling. I have a master's in forensic psychology and I have a master's in information assurance, which is protecting information. So I kind of got the broad spectrum of everything. They all work together, um, but it's just part of what, uh, for me, helps me make a complete understanding of behavior. And I, and, and I continue to learn and continue to find out new things. So it's, it's what I love to do. Awesome. Well, I can't wait for you to share what you love here on this video. And I just want to, you know, just let you guys know real quick, worship leaders. Uh, Dan is a worship leader. He's been a worship leader for years, he and his wife, Jennifer. And they mentored me 
in what I do uh, from way back. So you're, you're going to be listening to someone who's not only has years of experience, but who has the insight of a worship leader and a pastor. So I think, you know, before you make your assumptions about what this topic may be, maybe just put that to the side and reserve it for a moment. And let's just kind of explore the topic. So Dan, let's jump into it. When it comes to worship, why do you, you know, I painted this broad stroke, but if you can capture a few things, what would they be? Why, why do people hold, tend to hold back in worship? Well, for me, I always ask the question, what's the purpose in everything that I do? And number one, when I take a step back from your question and I look at the, and I look at the realization of what, what am I really, what question am I really asking? What's the purpose? Um, Because you brought up a number of things when you were talking about the question. You were talking about pastors and worship leaders looking out of the congregation and seeing, you know, the, the, the blank stares of whoever who's not singing. But what I always see is there's a little bit more to that when I'm looking in the congregation. And sometimes I won't, I won't know what they're, what they're thinking. I won't know what they're doing. I can't say that they're not singing. I can't say they're not worshiping because I don't have that knowledge. I can't read their mind. And so as a leader, if I put myself in that position and I'm judging myself, a little codependent too, if I'm doing that, then I'm, I'm putting myself as, am I doing good or not? Uh, by the way, the audience responds. And what I really need to want to do is as a leader, I want to respond in the way that I feel like God is calling me to, because I don't know what seeds I'm planting when I'm doing what he's called me to do. But if I base it on my audience and what I think they're thinking, then I'm going to put myself at risk of not worshiping myself and not being able to lead properly because I'm being led the wrong way. If I'm led by God, then I do the things that he's called me to do. And uh, I will eventually get the responses I want because he wants me to know. But I want to give the congregation an opportunity to be cerebral and to worship in their way. Um, I know that for me, um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I look like a, you know, I look pretty dead when I'm worshiping, but the stuff going on inside of me and the things that I'm processing and doing, I don't show externally. That's just the way I'm made. That's just part of uh, my character and what I do, but it doesn't mean that I'm not really enjoying worship. Mm. That's a good point. I, I think that you, when you say it, it, we're, we're in a way we are, we're judging others and, and we're assuming that they're not worshiping because they don't sing or they don't look engaged. Right. Um, so that answers it very well. Then, then we're forced to look at ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So what are some of the things that you think hold you back in worship? For me, usually um, they're more personal things. They're things like, what was the conversation before I walked in? What was, what's going on in my life right now? What is my focus? What are my stressors? But the funny part is all of those things can also be the things that creates an interaction for me. So there's a fine line between using those for good and using those for evil. And, and um, you know, there might just be something going on in your life that just, that just makes you feel um, like you can't worship, like you're unworthy. And I think that's where grace comes in. The yes. more we can and understand grace, the more we can understand that we're not worthy. And it's not about being worthy. It's about just being in the presence of God. And that b- because of Jesus, we are in the presence of God when we choose to be and when we want to be because we're there. 
Um, you know, we forget a lot of times that the Holy Spirit lives in us. If we really believe all the words that we read, we know the Holy Spirit lives in us. Therefore, we have a connection that we can reach out to. No matter where we are, what we do, what's going on in our lives, um, we can do that. But we, first of all, need grace in order to truly come to the throne and to truly be that. I think that's really important. So is it biblical for a person, you touched on it for a second. Is it biblical for a person to say, I don't feel like worshiping? Sure. We all did that. There's, there's so many stories in the Bible of where someone has said, I need to break in that. And it's, it's because worship is a deep thing. Worship is, we want to create our own worship. And sometimes to create our own relationship, we have to put aside others' relationships, right? In the sense of a lot of times <clears throat> the way we worship is based on other people, how, how they worship, how we watch them, what we think we're supposed to do, which is about them. Same with our, the way that we worship God, the way that we have an interaction with God is based on what they have, is based upon what they do. So there, there's always a time when I'm trying to find my own faith. I'm trying to build my own bridge to Christ. I'm trying to envelop him as personally for me. And sometimes I have to set aside others that I've followed or others that I have, um, um, you know, imitated in order to get my own faith, in order to get my own um, uh, understanding and, and own relationship with Christ. So what do you say to the person who says, I feel unworthy because I don't feel like worshiping? Is God going to be mad at me? It's a great question. And biblically speaking, you, you have to try to comprehend what grace is. You have to try to comprehend. And if I'm working with someone and we're having that conversation, what I say to them is I'm no better than you are. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus makes us the best, no matter who we are. And I've talked to people who have done really terrible things. And I've talked to people who have not done anything really that's, that's, that stands out in a, what we would call a bad thing. And I find that the people who have really strayed, the people who really have done bad things tend to have a more realistic understanding of grace and really have to stretch and, and do that at deeper than some of us who have a mediocre faith because we've never had any challenges or we never have any, um, you know, any of those things that, that have brought us to question anything. You've got to come through some battles. You can't climb the mountain from the top. So in order to really appreciate that mountain, you've got to climb and you got to appreciate the climb. You know, it's what Miley Cyrus says, right? It's about the climb. So sorry, you got to work a little pop in there too, right? Let's pretend that, that never happened. Good old Miley. So um, Miley or not. I can learn something uh, from anybody. This is what happens in our fun conversations. Yeah. All the time. We stray. We do. Yeah. And when worship leaders walk away from a worship service and they feel now it's the, they had the, we had the perspective we talked about, they feel unworthy about not worshiping. Now, what about for the worship leader or pastor when they walk away from what they do on a Sunday from stage and they feel unworthy about what they've done? They feel they've made mistakes in view of God. And then therefore they don't consider it worship in two ways, either one, 
it's performance because they're having to do a job and they don't feel like they've really been in tune worshiping Agreed. or they maybe they've worked their job too hard. Yeah. And now it's about failure. Yeah. And that's another choice of what grace comes in because I know as a worship leader and as a pastor, it really is performance. Mm. There really is a performance aspect and where it gets dangerous is when I mix in a little codependency right? When I'm basing on my performance on how I perceive that the crowd took it or how I perceive the faces were, or how I perceive how many people were looking at their phones or doing those things. When I start doing that and I'm taking on a codependent aspect and I'm missing the personal, just the personal growth and the personal uh, speaking of God to me. And I'm not allowing him to speak because I'm using all these other things to get in the way. And when I find myself doing that, then I'm going to miss a lot of things because I'm going to use the wrong value system to judge, to, to put that in perspective for me. And like I said, it's a little codependent. I got to remove that codependency out of there. And I've got to have my soul dependence on Christ and on what he's telling me to do and what I need to do. Because there's a lot of times in the valley, there's a, there's a lot of scripture about a lot of leaders who are, spend a lot of time alone and feeling like they're alone when all along, God was there the whole time. So we got we to gotta put our eyes, if we really truly as a, as a leader put our eyes on Jesus and keep our eyes off man, then we don't get caught in that trap. We can use that as a building block to help us do something better. But when we start using it as something that we uh, judge ourselves by and, and, and do a pass fail on, then we're really missing the leadership aspect of who Christ is in our lives. And we're not being that true leader because we have to be alone sometimes to do that. So Dan, take us through when in the moment when somebody's leading worship or leading the preaching, in that moment when they are fighting those fears, in that moment when they feel unsuccessful or they're afraid of failure or the codependency factor or whatever it may be, their, their own inferiority, what do you say to those leaders? What can they do? Give us some practical things hands-on of what they could do when they're in those moments of struggle. The practical thing is to reach out to someone that you trust. But I mean, and, when they're, but when they're in a service, like in the moment of the service, and they're actually going through it, what well, are some hopefully, key points that they can remember to do? Well, if they're in the if they're in a service and that's happening, then they've not done the groundwork before, and it's going to create a problem. And I've been there because I'm looking out and I'm starting to get that feedback. So what I have to do is prepare myself beforehand that I'm not being codependent, and I recognize it when it happens. If I recognize it when I when it happens, then I can tell my brain that, right? Our anxiety is the check engine light for us. So when I get a check engine light, just like with my car, I'm going to go through a checklist, right? I'm going to go through that. Am I this? Am I that? Do I feel this? Am I going to die? No. So you can go through that same checklist while you're preaching or while you're leading worship and you start feeling that way, inadequate. Then you really just want to be know that you are beautifully and wonderfully made, that you are in a place of worship and it's your job to lead and it's your job to persevere and it's your job to be the example you need to be. And you need to use that as a battle cry, not as a whipping post. Hmm. So many times we use the same things as a whipping post when we should be using those as a battle cry. And that's, I think, what's the important thing. When I feel inadequate, then I need to know what makes me feel adequate. I need to know that God really is there. 
that he is with me and that he's giving me the words to say. And I got to really believe that. But beforehand, I think it's super important to have that uh, structure, to have those support systems around them so that you have that in front so that you can tell your brain when that check engine light comes on, oh, I'm going to have this conversation with my support group. I'm going to have this conversation. And your brain goes, oh, because your brain just needs to know that you know. Once you tell it you know, it's going to cut you some slack. So studies show us that when I just label it and I acknowledge it, that I'm going to immediately decrease the anxiety of it because your brain just wants you to know that you know. So once I say, hey, I'm feeling a little anxiety here, well, I'm going to do this later. I'm going to talk about this later with that. Here's what I'm going to bring up. Your brain's going to go, oh, and you can move on. And that's just a really easy, dirty uh, mind trick that works um, because your brain needs to know that you know. I love that because that that could also revolutionize the worship experience for that leader. It could be oh, like a, a, a battle within itself, within your own heart, that God is using you to lead through that, to cling, to cling on to God. And Great. then outwardly, you're still leading worship. And that just makes that more, more of a celebration that much yes. more joyful. Yes. Like you actually, you accomplished something. Yeah. That right. you're fighting a battle and you succeeded. Don't beat yourself okay. up before, because a lot of times that's your superpower. The reason that you're feeling that way is because your superpower is you care about what they think. You want to be the best. You want to lead them. That's a superpower. When we use it as a whipping post, it changes everything. So we have to be use that as that superpower. So good. I love that, Dan. Uh, you mentioned real quick about support. Uh, can you tell us more about Cognitive Grace and how people can connect with you? Well, my passion in life has always been working with leaders because I've spent a lot of time in ministry helping pastors, worship leaders, and others wherever I was at in, in, in church or where I've, where I've worked in a lay place, where I usually ended up being the one that was that support, that person who's, and I've been given a foundation of that and a passion for that, that puts me in positions to be able to lift up those at whatever spiritual level they are, whatever spiritual journey they're on, uh, using spiritual, using cognitive, uh, using, you know, all kinds of, um, of, I don't want to call them tricks, but there's methods, cognitive methods that's, that works really well. And I don't want ministers to get burnt out. I don't want them to feel like they're alone. And sometimes they just need God with skin on. So cognitive grace does that. We have a mentoring aspects. We have counseling where it's not really counseling. It's, it's coaching, it's mentoring. Um, but like I said, I have a, a master's in counseling and a master's in forensic psychology. So I have kind of both sides of that brain part covered with, with knowledge and what, what I put together. And, and I have some really great techniques that helps them to move past that, that helps them know what they need to do before when they, the, the triggers, the check engine light and what to do with those. So th that's, those are the things I love to do. Awesome. Dan, thanks so much, man, for jumping in here today and sharing with us your heart, your expertise, thanks, and most of all, uh, your, your uh, very kind, encouraging perspective on things. Thanks, bro. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to, to get to hang out with you. Man. Yeah, man. All the time. We're going to have more of this, folks. We're going to have Dan back and do some more spots. Um, I, I really want to... Um, I want to zero in on uh, the superpower. Maybe we can make that another 
another topic to talk about what's your superpower worship leader you know cool yeah um, so good so uh so dan thanks for climbing in with us to the confessions booth today thank you and you know people we just want to encourage you that uh there is no story that's too crazy. There's no heartbreak that's too much for God to handle. So thanks Agreed. so much for being here today. We love you. And remember, it's not about being perfect. It's about being. It's about the Lord Jesus leading you both in life and in worship. See you next time soon. Bye. See you guys.